The Ivy League has canceled fall sports, and that means football. Good morning. It is Thursday, July 9th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, and I'm joined by who else? Brandon Marcello to break down this latest breaking news development, or at least it's breaking news as we record here on Wednesday afternoon regarding college football and the coronavirus. Brandon, how's it going, and what's your quick takeaway here? You know, it was expected, uh, you know, it had been reported since uh, earlier this week that a, a decision was expected to be made of either a shortened season or most likely the football season, in the Ivy League being moved to the spring. But what we got Wednesday was a third option, and that's uh, no fall sports, including football, and they'll reevaluate in January whether to have a spring football season. That hasn't even been decided yet either. So, expected um the big question obviously now is does this affect things with the fbs you know outside of say you know army which was scheduled to face princeton uh, doesn't really affect anything on the major fbs level remember the ivy league is an fcs conference but it obviously opens the door for and actually maybe not opens the door but it just shows that hey this is possible now uh, not just on the FCS level, but the FBS and the Power Five level, that we may be looking at changes with the upcoming football season. What's different right now uh, compared to March when the Ivy League canceled its conference basketball tournaments and everyone followed suit? You know, it's simple as this it's just a different level um, at this point. Also, because as I said, it's FBS and FCS and football. Basketball, everybody's kind of in the same grouping. Everybody's trying to battle to get into the NCAA tournament. Also, we were in a real-time situation there where the virus was new in the United States of America. We didn't quite understand what was going on. Testing wasn't really a thing. Uh, There was no preparation or protocols put in place within college and universities and especially in athletic events. And so the the best thing the Ivy League thought at the time was we just need to cancel everything right now because it doesn't look like we're – this thing, this thing's going to be have a grasp on this thing in the in the next week, let alone maybe month. And so, it, it certainly looked like that the Power Five conferences and the other conferences followed the Ivy League's lead, which technically is true because they did it first. But I've even talked to people that said, "Hey, it wasn't necessarily the Ivy League canceling it their tournament that made it seem okay for us to cancel." What really was the the push for them was, of course, when an NBA player test positive for COVID and they pull players off the court mm. and cancel a game right, right before it's played. That's really what opened the eyes of everybody uh, on, on that level. In fact, if I don't, if that doesn't happen that night in Oklahoma city, you probably would have seen a couple more days of basketball being played, but without fans in the stands. Um, yeah, in think, my opinion, I think you're but, right. I think the moment, I think the road yeah. moment, Rudy Gobert, you know, gets yeah. tested positive, kind of the whole world shuts down. To make the same parallel, though, or, or to, to bring it back to what you're saying, so let's say, like, let, let's say college officials did not, per se, follow the Ivy League in the spring. It, it happened second, and yes, the Ivy League was ahead of its curve, or ahead of the curve in, in realizing that this is a much bigger deal than people in early March wanted to, wanted to make it seem. Is... Do you think that there are people in college administrative offices, I'm talking presidents, athletic directors, who are 
putting more stock into the Ivy League uh, or, or respecting or listening to the Ivy League um, because it's it, it is the Ivy League and, it, and it's and it's Harvard and it's Yale and it's Princeton and, and it's a little bit different than if the Pioneer League decided to shut down. Like, do you think it's this is the the academic standing here is is contributing to why we're even talking about the Ivy League so much? Well, that and but I'll say this: the the Ivy League's in a much different circumstance because we, we've mentioned this before, and others have talked about it. The endowments at the Ivy League schools are so much larger than at most FBS programs, other than maybe Stanford, which, by the way, just eliminated eleven or is going to eliminate eleven sports after this academic year. But um, so what you've got is a situation in the FBS, say like the SEC, the ACC, or Pac-12, where they almost they spend as much as they make, pretty much, and they don't really they can't really fall back on the reserves. They can dip into them a little bit, but when it comes to an actual university endowment, they're not as large as, say, the Ivy League. Also, the way endowments work, it isn't like you can just dip in there like a bank account and pick up whatever you want. Certain things are set aside for certain programs, and it's hard to really reach in there and grab that money unless you actually reach out to the person that gave some of that money and said, hey, can we use it for this instead of, say, for the basketball program? which makes it unlikely for things to change unless there's just an absolute catastrophic event, which, of course, the Ivy League is better prepared for at this point because of their larger endowments, but also because they're not set to lose as much money as an FBS team or FBS program, an FBS conference that has a television deal with ESPN or CBS Sports or Fox because the Ivy League simply doesn't make that kind of money. It's an FCS conference. It's not FBS, and it's not even Power Five, of course. So that's you're talking three, four levels down at this point from the FBS level. So that's what makes this so much different. It also makes it a different situation when these Autonomy Five, the autonomy, the autonomy Five, which is the Power Five conference commissioners, when they meet daily and discuss things, that's why they're not really discussing what the Ivy League is doing. It's a much different situation in football than it was in basketball, not only from a financial standpoint, but also in real time, as we were discussing earlier with what was going on on the ground at that time. And as I said, the financial situation is so much different. The FBS conferences have so much more to lose by postponing to the spring or delaying, 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 delaying whereas the Ivy League doesn't have as much to lose because there's simply not that as much money coming in as, say, the, as the FBS conferences. So I guess it would be simple as this. It'd be like, well, I, I don't know, like on a, pers- like a personal level, like you see you got a neighbor down the road who has this huge mansion, this huge house or whatever, and, but to keep it going, they're, they're spending pretty much their entire paycheck to keep it going, whereas you have someone who's making – you know, less money, but also is living more modestly and can maybe take a little bit of a hit and continue their lifestyle. That's kind of what the Ivy League is in that situation. They're living modestly. They've got a good savings account, whereas the person down the street, which is the FBS, the SEC and all that, they're living extravagant lifestyles, but they're not saving a lot of money in doing so. They're spending, 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 and they're counting on this money to keep coming in so they can keep doing that because, you know, uh, facility races, um, recruiting costs, 
the cost of assistant coaches, the cost of head coaches continues to skyrocket. Whereas in the Ivy League, it's just kind of not necessarily static, but it's on a much different level. It's a fun visual to think of Ivy Leaguers as the model of a thrifty lifestyle. So yeah, I no. Kept, <laughs> I kept thinking the last few weeks that or or a few months ago that college football hinged on the pro sports setting a good example of look, we can come back and we can play and we can do this all right. And that hasn't even happened yet. We're we're still tracking toward the NBA and, and major league baseball resuming play in late July, but there's been issues in both scenarios and and it's this is all the Ivy League and the MLB and the NBA. The NBA has to go to a bubble just to play. The, the hurdles here are, are are more than we thought they would be. I think a month ago, and you reported very in depth on Wednesday that there is a growing sense of pessimism about an on time late August, early September start to the college football season. What do you think? If 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 that doesn't happen, like if a week one doesn't lift off as scheduled, what do you then think is the most likely scenario? Because you've reported, and I think everyone would agree here, just just punching it all the way to spring would be the last resort. Yeah, that's the absolute last resort because that would mean canceling fall football and going, we're going to try again in the spring. And to be quite honest, if that were to happen, it wouldn't happen until probably September or October. They'd make a decision like that. And even when they did that, they'd, they'd say, we don't know what the schedules are going to look like. We don't know what it's going to look like. We're going to discuss that between now and, say, January or February, whenever that happens. But what's going to happen is they're just going to, this is, I guess, just get used to this saying, delay, delay, delay until you can play. Hmm. That, that's, that's what's going to happen. They're going to wait to the 11th hour in a lot of situations the first thing that'll happen if there is a decision not to start the season on time is that they'll just say the first week or two, we're not playing those games. Um, oh. And then from there, they'll reevaluate and go, okay, can we do week three on onward? If they can't do that, they'll delay again. They'll go, okay, two more weeks, three more weeks, whatever. Now, the one situation that I had one source inside of a Power Five conference tell me is that they don't believe they can do this literally like week by week, making decisions on that, that are wholesale of like, okay, the ACC is not playing this week, right. but we'll reevaluate for next week. They got to give logistically a couple of weeks at least to kind of figure that all out. Another possibility, which has been discussed a lot among these, these conferences, is that week to week, maybe one school's unable to really play because they don't feel comfortable because of some positive tests, so they have to cancel their game. Is that a forfeit? They don't know yet. They still don't know if they figure that out. Um, so what you might end up seeing is maybe the season does start on time, but it doesn't start on time for everybody. You might have like six SEC schools starting week one, and then the uh, you know another eight, the other eight schools. Um, if I don't know if all all fourteen are playing week one, but just right. just to say that the six schools and then the eight don't don't another eight don't play, and they have a built-in week at the end of the season where they might be able to make up a game. That's that's the possibility, but then there's no promise of being able to make up that game or whatever at the end of the season because one logistics and scheduling, but also what situation are we in with the COVID nineteen? I think 
conferences will make decisions based off of regional situations, not necessarily where you're going to see the Power Five come together and go, we're all playing this week. We've all decided that, or we're all playing that week. I think what they'll kind of come up together and say is, listen, if they do play the season on time, listen, we're moving forward. We're, we're still planning on uh, playing in week one, but now it's up to the individual conferences in conjunction with their schools and discussions and testing protocols of whether these games can be played and we'll decide, say, two weeks out if, say, uh, an Alabama can actually go to Arlington and face USC and if USC in the Pac-12 can go to Arlington and play. And if they can't go to Arlington and play, even you know, do they reschedule the game? Do they just cancel it and not play week one? Or do they play it at USC or do they play it at Alabama or a different site? There's so many things that have to be weighed here and there aren't set plans right now. There's a bunch of options and possibilities, but they're not going to start really trying to push forward with these things until they have a much better idea of which way they're leaning, where they're going. And that's why in late July or early August, you're going to see these Power Five conferences make the announcement of either we're starting the season on time or we're going to delay here for a week or two or maybe three and then just reevaluate from there. They're not going to say we're canceling everything. We'll see in the spring. They're going to keep reevaluating and keep reevaluating. And like I said, it's going to be delay, delay, delay until we play. The College Football Daily will be right back. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You hit on something interesting about the you, you talk about the autonomy five commissioners are, are talking on a daily basis. And that gives you the sense that they're all working through this together because they all have similar obstacles here, similar hurdles, and they have the exact same goal. But it will be I can't I, I, I can't almost wait to see it. It's like week one comes or the build up to week one comes and the Pac-12 is like, we can't do it. You're right. That doesn't mean that the ACC is like Pac-12. We're with you. We're gonna. Right. We're also not playing. The, it's it's gonna be every conference for itself, and within each conference, it's gonna be potentially every team. Uh, one week in, one week Michigan has the green light to play, but Iowa doesn't. And do you think, Brandon, while we talk about sort of like teams playing while other teams aren't, are they prepared to weather the blowback that they're going to face? Yeah. Uh, of of playing college football while other teams maybe in its conference aren't able to. Yeah. And that's the other issue that we reported on is that a lot of these administrators, though they won't admit it publicly, but they're discussing this behind closed door is the PR backlash of either playing or not playing the, you know, kind of the, I know there's the Twitter mob mentality, so to speak. They're actually kind of worried about that. Because not only is the health and safety of the players and coaches paramount, the number one thing, but what happens if they play and they feel comfortable with their plan 
and then they get criticized for it. And then the moment one player gets sick or one player gets hospitalized or an outbreak occurs, what does that do to the, the conference's image? And do they put themselves in a situation where if they quote unquote start too early, that they'd be more cautious about restarting, even if things looked better than they did, say, a month previously. It's a delicate balance there, and they're really kind of weighing that situation from a public relations standpoint and the fan standpoint. Um, here's another thing that I ha- that hasn't really been brought up a lot, and I think we're going to run into it if we get into a situation where we say, hey, the season's starting on time. I- I've been getting a lot of text messages and a couple of phone calls when, when I'm talking to sources, particularly coaches and athletic directors. And one of the coaches like quoted anonymously in my story Wednesday saying that they do not feel too comfortable with the testing and the protocols that are in place for quarantining players when it comes to in season, because if they continue to follow what they're doing right now with quarantining, This coach said, this is an FBS head coach, by the way, said, I don't see how we're playing any games because every week they're going to have people quarantined and that number is going to fluctuate. It's going to mess with things. It's going to mess with the lineups. You could potentially have several starters out. You might have to have players playing both ways on defense and offense like they did in high school or even the small town high school teams they may have played on. And I don't know if coaches are really ready to have to deal with that And what you could potentially see, this is just throwing it out there from talking to people, you could see schools banding together and going against what the conference is trying to do and saying, listen, until you have better testing and better turnaround with this and contact tracing for us to follow and develop, whether it's on the university level or the conference mandating it and stuff like that, We don't feel comfortable playing any games at this point. And you could potentially see schools themselves and players holding out and saying, I'm not playing until I feel safe or I feel better about our testing and quarantining protocols. Um, And contact tracing is of utmost importance right now. And that's a big thing that all these coaches I've talked to are worried about. So there are so many levels to this, so many. And as one administrator told me, it's quoting the story, as of today, nobody knows. And that's the scariest thing about all this is that no one really has an answer right now. And they're going to have to just dance around things and adjust day to day and week to week if they're really going to try and have a football season. I think collectively the testing process was assumed at this point to have been a little bit more smooth, a little bit quicker turnaround. And we don't talk about the player's perspective enough here. We've talked about them using their voice as it, as it relates to racial injustice and, and changing things on campus. But we sit here and we say, well, the players will be fine. They're young and healthy. The players, even if they know they're probably going to be fine and that they're young and healthy, it's one thing to, you know, to know that you're not going to, to probably die from COVID-19, but to get tested as frequently as they do and then have to wait 72 hours to, to not know you're, you're good to go or you're not, or are your roommate has, has COVID-19 and, and you have to figure out if you do now too, like that's all pretty unsettling. It, I, I was, again, I'll say it. I was hoping that at this point they would be able to know 
like the point of care tracing or point of care testing, whether they have it within a day, it's, I mean, we saw this weekend, Brandon, in, in major league baseball. I don't know how closely you follow that, but there was a multi-day lag in the testing results and, and the professional baseball players were not happy about it. So that's the thing. It's the logistically it's a mess. And I remember speaking to Dr. Michael Sag, um, an infectious disease expert with UAB who's helping at university of Alabama and its system with testing and protocols. You know, he battled the virus himself back in March. So he very much understands what you go through, but also the testing procedures and everything. But I remember talking to him back in, well, April or May. And at that point, he was very confident that testing would not only increase, but the testing would improve. You know, at that point, they were talking about the saliva tests and how they're working on improving those because there are so many false positives. And, you know, the, the 20 to 30% of them, I believe, are just not working. And so there wasn't a lot of confidence in utilizing them and putting those in mass production until there was a better model out. And he at the time was saying there were so many people working on this that at some point he believes by the time the end of summer comes along, we get to football, those saliva tests will be readily available and they'll be much more accurate. But we're not necessarily seeing that. Here we are in July and the swab tests are still being utilized. And as you said, there's been testing lag there because there's been such an influx in testing across the country. and we're talking about in football and all sports of testing players possibly multiply, multiple times a week. And, but there's a turnaround um, with that. I mean, you can get it back in 24 hours if you really push for it, but a lot of these are 48 to 72 hours. And then, as you said, in the major league baseball over the July 4th weekend, players were concerned about them not getting their uh, results back. And I remember, I don't know what, what owner it was, was very upset in an email to players saying, uh, you know, sorry about this. I'm as angry as you are. It's, uh, I guess in, in a lot of ways, and especially when I mentioned that FBS head coach I spoke to, there's a lot of disappointment in the fact that we have not found a better way to test, but also, um, to kind of have this almost streamlined. And it just seems like we're still in that, in that mode of, uh, thinking on our feet instead of like preparing um, for two months down the road so that we would have different tests in place. And I'm not a doctor, obviously, or health expert, but when you speak to the people who are dealing with this every day, like I do, there's a lot of frustration and especially from the people who are on the ground. And when I say on the ground, I mean, coaches, athletic directors, then obviously the players, but more so the coaches and athletic directors who really have to almost put a smile on their face and spin this thing to their players a lot. They're just trying to keep things positive, but it's wearing on them because they see what's going on behind the scenes. And not to say there won't be a football season, obviously, but it, right now it's, it's tougher than they thought it was going to be. Yeah, we've done you know, a few iterations of this type of podcast now, and, and we did a lot of them in, in April, May, and June. And you talked about testing is really important. We need to get testing going. And there was at one point a sense of high optimism. And now, now of course, it's a lot easier to, to be a little bit pessimistic. So we'll see. We're going to keep tracking this here on the College of All Daily and at 24-7 Sports. Got Brandon on all the time. Brandon, thanks for joining us and talking about the, the impact of the Ivy League. I mean, no one knows anything right now. So it's it's pretty impressive though that that we can – I mean, like you, you keep peeling this onion and there's a layer, and there's a layer, and yeah. there's a layer. We could spend like truly three hours on this. 
Oh, and that's the thing. Can you imagine what these athletic directors and commissioners are doing day to day, trying to just plan and figure things out? That's why they're meeting every day in the autonomy five. And there's so many issues. And then hypotheticals, like I mentioned, what if players or coaches come together and go, we're not happy with the way the testing's going. And plus they're trying to figure out a way for each university to secure proper testing and better testing and, 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 proper protocols and guidelines and uh it just varies school to school and when you've got 65 66 power power five teams out there and that's just power five that's a lot of variables because <laughs> you're not just talking about one school you're talking about multiple facets within that school and so many possibilities and uh it almost makes it impossible especially in this climate when things are being taken so seriously with this virus because it's, it's a novel virus and everybody's so cautious with it and moving forward. And that's why they're so cautious with trying to get back to normal everyday life. We'll see what happens. Got a few weeks. And then, of course, I doubt there's much clarity uh, even as we get to that point. But we'll see. We'll keep you updated. Thanks again to Brandon Marcello for joining us. For our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. <laughs>